Well, hello and very, very welcome to Fire Drawn Air, the bonus episode. Today, I want to look at the ballad known as Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight. Now, this is a very popular ballad and the Roud Folk Song Index, in which it is number 21, lists about 930 instances of this ballad collected from traditional sources, while Child's English and Scottish popular ballads has eight versions. He said that of all ballads, this has perhaps obtained the widest circulation. It is nearly as well known to the southern as to the northern nations of Europe. He then goes on to say that it has extraordinary currency in Poland, Low and High Germany and Scandinavia. So Child's preface to this ballad is quite famous and it runs up to 32 pages in length. And it's been said that anyone today wishing to get an idea of comparative ballad scholarship should look no further than this introduction. He has eight examples of the ballad as I mentioned and the first he calls the Gowan Segei. The second type, represented by his B version, is known as the Water of Weary's Well and all the other versions are of the type known as the Outlandish Knight or May Colvin. These ones don't show too much variation really and all of them have the famous talking parrot scene, more of which anon. So the earliest known version of any of the English language variants of this ballad seems to be a broadside which was printed no later than the second half of the 18th century. However, there does seem to be some consensus that the ancestor to all of these is a Dutch ballad stemming from the 13th century called Hier Halloween, which we will look at later on. So in a way, what we are dealing with is effectively three distinctive branches of the same ballad group. And although Child saw fit to identify them collectively as Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight, the Gown Say Gay, his A example, is actually the only one of them to have an actual Elf Knight in it. So the basic plot of this particular ballad is that Lady Isabel is at home sewing in her bower when she hears the Elf Knight blowing his horn. She wishes for the Elf to be asleep in her bosom and before she knows it, he's there into her window. He asks her to come away with him to the Greenwood side and they ride away on horses. But when they get there, he says that they have come to the place where he has slain seven king's daughters and she will be the eight. With the aid of a small charm, she manages to lull him asleep on her lap before killing him with his own dagger. She then tells him that he will lie there, a husband to the seven king's daughters that he has killed. So regular listeners to the show will know that I usually start off by playing more traditional forms of the ballads before moving on to the more modern arrangements. But this time around, because the Gowan Gay and the Water Weary's Well don't really seem to have survived within the tradition in any of the usual countries, I'm going to start off by playing more modern takes on them. So to represent Child's A version of the ballad, the gown say gay i'm going to play this version which is quite close by polly polosma which she called lady isabel and the elf knight isabel sits by her window sewing i as the gowns grow gay a young elf night his bright horn a-blowing on that first morning in May in May on that first morning first morning in May if only I had that sweet horn that's a-blowing I as the gowns grow 
before I die As the roses blow She stroked him so fast The nearer he did creep Fine flowers in the valley And with a small charm She's caused him to sleep As the roses blow With his own sword belt So fast she has bound him Fine flowers in the valley With his own dagger So sore she has stabbed him As the roses blow If seven king's daughters Here have you slain Fine flowers in the valley And here you shall lie A husband to them all As the roses blow As the roses blow So that was the group Angus Moore with their version of the Gowan Sege. So there have been many theories put forward about this particular ballad over the years and the scholar Holger Olaf Nygaard in an article in the Journal of American Folklore expands upon a lot of these. Um, a lot of them have to do with the origin of the ballads in this group as well as what he calls their continental analogues. So just to sum up a few of them. He talks about Sven Grundtvig's suggestion that the ballads are derived from some obscured elf song and that it derived from a Scandinavian source. But he points out that elves in Scandinavian folklore are not usually considered predatory and that as well, like we mentioned earlier, the only actual ballad where the male protagonist is referred to as an elf is in the A version, which we just heard. He also talks about Franz Bohm's theory that the knight was originally a nix or a water spirit found in the folklore of Germanic people. Child seems to have accepted this idea at first, but then he dropped it after Grundvig and others asked if the knight was originally a nix, how come such a creature could be killed by drowning? You don't kill a water spirit by drowning them. Um, There was also the idea of, um, which was held by Goth and others, who held that the story may have derived from the French Bluebeard tales but Nygaard says the tale and the ballads have been separate and distinct as far as records go back and that this is most likely a case of polygenesis of a narrative idea. He also dismisses Franz Holtz's suggestion that the tale originates in the medieval idea that a maiden's blood could cure leprosy because apart from an old Swiss ballad no other version gives any indication that what the knight does with the maidens apart from killing them suggests that he is in in health. Um, Another idea was that the knight represented the spirits of shadows, death, night and winter finally overcome by the warmth of the summer and that the murdered maids represented the months of the year. Now, someone called Leon Pinot put forward this idea, but Nygaard saw this as an example of the tendency to write the ballad group's early history not on its own terms, but on terms dictated by something else. And this, it's, to me, sounds like this kind of stuff you come across on the fringes of not-so-serious ballad scholarship, and it's the kind of theories and explanations that I would tend to shy away from. Um, two more that he mentions, though, in the article... Um, Paul de Kaiser's psychoanalytic theory based on Dutch versions in which the hero was beheaded. He makes the ballad group about punishment by castration arising from the suppressed desires of the singer. But um, the girl's brother only has a role in a few versions of the ballad, um, so it would not be enough to be representative of the whole group. Last but not least, Nygaard discusses the idea put forward by Sophus Bugger that the story itself descends from the biblical tale of Judith and Holofernes. Now this is something that Child also mentions in his intro and I think it did have some currency at one stage. Um, but Nygaard points towards the fact that Bugger seems to have only chosen versions of the ballad which fitted in with his theory like he cherry picked details here and there wherever it suited him. He also said that Holofernes in the biblical story didn't intend to kill Judith he just wanted to have sex with her and he also didn't murder a whole succession of other maidens like the seven king's daughters that we see in the ballad 
Um, these murders seem to be at the very, very heart of the ballads and they're there in every version. But anyway, that's Holger Olaf Nygaard's article, Ballad Source Study, Child Ballad Number 4 as Exemplar. And that was in the Journal of American Folklore, Volume 68, from 1955. He also wrote an article a couple of years before that in 1952 in the same journal, which is worth reading. But I'm going to play just one more version of the Gowan Sege, and this one was sung by Judith Weir. up I want to look at a version of the song recorded which represents the second branch of the ballad group Child's B version which he called The Water O' Weary's Well and his version came from William Motherwell's Minstrelsy published in 1827 and this form of the ballad is not very widely attested to and I don't think it survived in the tradition anywhere. Um, I only came across one recording of it, which I'm going to play in a while. So the plot to this one involves a king's daughter who is full of woe. At some stage, a harpist comes and plays and everyone falls asleep except for the king's daughter. He then takes her on the back of his horse to Weary's Well, where he says, wade in there. She expresses some doubt when she is up to her knee and then when she is up to her waist with the water. And he says that no harm will befall her and that he has often watered his horse there. Um, when she's up to her chin, that's when the famous line comes, uh, Seven King's Daughters, I've drowned there, and I'll make you the eighth of them. At this stage, she asks him for a kiss to comfort her, and when he leans down to kiss her, she pulls him from the saddle and drowns him instead. She then swims to the shore and thanks God that she escaped with her life. So here is a version recorded by a woman called Freb Hunt Bull with her two kids, and it's called The Water of Weary's Well. There came a bird out of a bush on water for to dine And sighing so the king's daughter said, woe's this heart of mine He's taken a harp into his hand, he's harped them all to sleep Except it was the king's daughter who couldn't sleep away 
final branch of this ballad group that I want to look at is usually referred to as the Outlandish Knight or May Colvin. Now this particular branch of the ballad group is the one that survived best anywhere in the world and there's a number of different examples of it. There's even two like quite different versions of it that survived in the Irish tradition and the first one I'm going to look at is by Corny McDade from Inishown up in Donegal and he called this version False Lover John. Um, I'm not going to talk about the plot of this particular ballad because I think it really speaks for itself. Um, so here you go. This is False Lover John by Corny McDade. Oh, false lover John, he curved at me for every hour and the day. He curtained me on till such a degree as I hadn't one word to say. And stinking of your father's gold and all your mother's money. And still the keys of your father's stable were thirty She took an all for father's gold and all her mother's money. She stole the keys of her father's stable where thirty still three. They mount and on the white mugsteed rode on by the clear silver light of the moon. And they rode on to their over bank where they're the dungeon down. And sly you hear Miss Mac this night along with me. For here I drowned in seven king's daughters, they so one shall be you. And stink you all those lovely clothes, and lay them on dry land. For they were too fine and costly for to rot on the salty sand. And torn you round forth yon, 
she says, and view the green leaves on the tree. When she clasped her arms round his body and flung him into the sea. I slay you there, for John, she says, and I'll death you me day. For you thought to drown me as I was born and take my clothes away. And reach me in your noble hand and bring me to dry land. And there's not a vow that ever I made, but I'll double them all in one. She mounted on her white mavsteed, rode on by the clear silver light of the moon. And she rode on to the castle gate, where there she dungeon down. She put the steed into the stable, the money and where and lay. And the warrant a lord all on the castle must mine away. Out speaks a noble parrot from and skids and where it lay. Saying, Why did I steal you, Michaelin, before you went away? And sold your tongue, my little parrot, and tell no tales on me. And your cage will be made of a beach and gold instead of a hazel tree. Out speaks a noble king from his chamber and where it Saying, why did it disturb my little parrot that rattled so long before day? They can't see her at my back door all for to worry me. And I was calling on my Colleen to scare the cans away. When maids are young, they do sleep sound and can be wakened by me. So sleep you on my noble kin, for the cans are scattered away. So another distinctive version that you'll still hear being sung in Ireland is Along the North Strand. Um, it was recorded here by Alan McWheeney in 1967 and the singer is Kitty Cassidy who I'm glad to report is still out and about and singing the song today. Um, you can find us on an album called Wished Irish Traveller Folk Tales and Songs that was published in 2002. So this is Along the North Strand. Oh we're pretty young boy come from the North Strand he came as a woman to me. He promised to bring me down by the north strand and there he'd marry me. Oh, get some of your mother's fee for me. And more of your daddy's gold And to the best horses he have in this day where the thirty-three No, she got some of her mother's fee And more of her daddy's gold and to the best heart. 
thirty-three. Oh, she got up at her mill quite still, and he and Apple Gray rode along unto the North Strand. Was three long hours before day. Oh, get down, get down, pretty Polly said. Get down and get down to me. Tis six little girls that I drowned here, and you are the seven shall be. Oh, your silks and your satins, you must take 'em off, and deliver 'em up unto me. I tend to rush and to grandsons he to roll in the bright rocky waves. Oh, my silks and my satins, I must take 'em off. Please turn your back to me. I think you're too big of a roughin' she to see naked woman like me. He turned his back on Ford North Strand to watch all the waves a goin' by. She gripped him round the middle so high and flung him right into the deep. Oh, he swam high and he swam low till he swam to the seashore. One hold to your hand, pretty Polly, she said. And sentence I'll make you my bride. Oh, stop where you are, my cruel-hearted lad. Stop where you are, says she. Tis six little girls that you drowned it there, and you are the seven shall be. Oh, she got up. And her mill quite still, and she laded her apple grey. She rode along to her father's halldoor. Was three long hours before day, for the parrot is up in the wind is so high. I'm afraid it'll come down upon me. Hold your tongue, hold your tongue, pretty Polly," she said. "Don't tell any tales upon me, for I'll have your cage of the litter and gold and your door of the best ivory. Who's that? Who's that?" their father did cry. Was plotting so long before day. It's no laughing matter, the parrot did say. It's no laughing matter for me, for the cats they are robbing the windows so high. I'm afraid it'll come down upon me. Please turn your tail, pretty Polly," she said. Will turn your tails upon me, for I'll have your cage of the litter and gold, and your door of the best ivory. So the ballad was well represented in England as well as anywhere else, and the next recording I'm going to play is of a man called William Jumbo Brightwell, and he was recorded in a pub called the Eels Foot in Suffolk in England in 1947. He was recorded by a man called E.J. Moran for BBC. Now this is an interesting version because even though it doesn't have the ending with the talking parrot, it does have a quite a rare stanza about、um, cutting a briar that's growing close to the brim of the river. This is used in place of the more common motif whereby. 
um, the woman says to false lover John or the man, whoever he is, um, to turn around and don't look at her, um, to turn your back to the water and view the green leaves on the tree. But anyway, Jumbo Brightwell.
Collins there with the outlandish night I just love the arrangement on that recording now in that version as well as Kitty Cassidy's you will have noticed that the parrot was called Pretty Polly but in some versions we see there's been some kind of confusion and the lady takes on this name and this is indeed the case in the next recording I'm going to play this is a man called Charles Scott Brink who was recorded near Smicksburg, Indiana County, Pennsylvania. And this recording was made by Samuel P. Bayard on August the 12th, 1948. Twas up in the night, in the cold stormy night, and the truth I'll tell unto thee, and the truth I'll tell unto thee. He followed me up, and he followed me down, until my bedchamber came. I had not the wings for to fly away, nor the tongue to tell him nay, 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 nor the tongue to tell him nay. He says, go take of your father's gold, likewise of your mother's feet, and two steeds out of yonder stable, where there stands thirty and three, 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 where there stands thirty and three. <coughs> She went and took of her father's gold, likewise of her mother's feet, and two steeds out of yonder stable where there stood thirty and three, 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 where there stood thirty and three. He set her on the nimble going round, and he lit down the dapple grain. And I reached the broad riverside for long hours before it was day, day, day. For long hours before it was day. <clears throat> light off, light off, light off, said he. For six kings' daughters I've rounded here, and the servants you shall be, 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 and the servants you shall be. Is this the promise you made to me? Is this the promise of she? You promised to take me to fair Scotland, and there you would marry me, and there you would marry me. <clears throat> now light off, light off, light off. My pretty fair maid, lay off that silken gown. For they are too rich and costly for the rough and the salty sea, for the rough and the salty sea. Light right off, light off, light off yourself. Turn your face toward the leaves of the tree. 
For you are to a wretch of a villain, for a naked woman to say, stay, stay, for a naked woman to say. And he turned his face for the leaves on the tree of her back turn. Yes. Yeah. back turn on the leaves. Yes. And the back turned on to me. And she caught him around the small middle, and she tripled him into the sea, 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 and she tripled him into the sea. Lie there, lie there, you false-hearted wretch, lie there instead of me. It's six king's daughters you grounded here, but the seventh grounded baby, at the seventh grounded baby. <coughs> like why there lies there, you force-hearted wretch. Let's go there, you know you. Close to the cost of the rottenness of the city. But I'll leave that go. And she laid down that lemon going down, and she laid that battle grain. And she reached her own dear father's home two long hours before it was day, day, day. Two long hours before it was day. <clears throat> it up bespoke the pretty Paul parrot all in its cage where it lay. Oh, what is the matter with my pretty Polly that she's prattling so long before day, day, day. That she's prattling so long before day. Let's up tell no tales on me, and your cage shall be of the yellow beaten gold, and she'll hang on young green willow tree, 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 and she'll hang on young green willow tree. It's up bespoke, the good old man, all in his chamber where he lay. Oh, what is the matter with my pretty Polly that she's prattling so long before day, 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 that she's prattling so long before day. I'm calling on my pretty Polly for to chase the cats away, way, way, for to chase the cats away. I, I didn't get that up to smoke and put it all apart. And it's it's all, that's all. Up next, I'm going to play a version of the song that was recorded by Tim Erickson on him and Eliza Carty's album Bottle in 2015. And this version is called Castle by the Sea. Um, Tim Erickson's source for the song was Lena Bourne Fish of East Jaffray, New Hampshire. And she was recorded to sing the song by Helen Hartness Flanders in 1941. As Tim says in his notes, there's not a lot of castle around Jaffray as far as I've seen, but the song rings true nevertheless. shall be, and we will dwell in a sylvan bower in my castle by the sea. Come bring along your marriage fee that you can claim today, and also bring your swiftest steeds, the milk white and the grey. The lady mounted her white steed, he rode the turban grey, they took the path by the wild seashore, so I've heard them say. When they got to the castle high It looked so black and cold She wished she'd stayed in Boston town With her ten thousand pounds in gold Light down, light down, my pretty fair maiden My bride you'll never be with six fair maidens I've drowned here And the seventh you shall be Take off, take off that scarlet robe And lay it down by me For it is too rich and costly To rot in the briny sea Well then turn your face to the wild seashore And your back to yonder's tree 
For it is a disgrace for any man, an unclothed woman, to see. So he turned his face to the wild seashore and his back to yonder's tree. This lady took him in her arms and flung him into the sea. Lie there, lie there, you false young man, and drown in the place of me. If it's six fair maidens you'll drown here, and don't keep them company. She mounted on a milk-white steed and led the turban gray. She rode till she come to Boston town two hours before it was day. J.E. Maynor and the Mountaineers with a track they called Six Kings Daughters. Now, as I mentioned earlier on, it's widely accepted that all of the versions we've looked at stem from one 13th century Dutch ballad called Heer Halivine. Heer Halivine starts off with a king's daughter being seduced by Halivine's magic song and asking her family for permission to go and see him. Her mother, father and sister all say no because anyone who goes that way doesn't come back but her brother says 
I don't care where you go as long as you keep your honour. So she puts on her best clothes, goes to see here Halivine and then rides with him to a gallows where there's many women hanging. He then offers to let her choose between him hanging her or him beheading her and she says that she would rather be beheaded but he should take off his coat first so he doesn't get blood on it. He puts down his sword to take off his coat and then she grabs the sword and cuts his head off. But then his severed head starts to talk to her and tries to get her to do things like rub um, some salve on his neck to bring him back to life. But luckily she doesn't fall for it and instead brings the head back to her father's house where they have a feast and put the head on the table. So that's here Halivine, the probable ancestor to all of the recordings that we've heard today. And I'm going to play a version of it that was recorded by the, let's see now if I get this right, the Belgian Dutch speaking folk group from the 70s, Rome. And that's going to close out the show. So big thank you to everyone for supporting the show as usual. Thanks for listening. I really hope you got something out of that. And I will be back next month jumping in for a deep dive into another ancient ballad. Until then, take care of yourselves and good luck. Ken, all die dat voor de wabijen ten, en dat vernamen koningskind die om haar schoonheid zo werd bemind, en zij ging al voor haar vader Vader, mag ik naar Halloween gaan? Och nee, gij dochter, nee, gij niet. Die daarin gaan een keer een niet. Maar zij ging al voor haar broeder staan. Och broeder, mag Ik naar Halloween gaan. Dus mij alleen zo waarheen gij gaat, als gij u eer maar wel bewaart. En zij is de hand naar haar kamer gegaan. En trok haar allerschoonste kleuren aan. Toen trad zij al in haar vaders taal. En koos daar het beste ros van al. Vrijlings hebben zij zich dan op het ros. En klingend reed zij door het bos. Toen zij ten halve bos mocht zijn, daar zag zij Heer Halloween. Begroet zij de hei en kwam dan tot haar Oh uh-huh.